You know, I think I, I get hung up too often when I think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on thinking about what he endured on the cross. And, uh, and I lose focus on what really was the matter on the cross is that as Christ took on our sin, um, he could no longer be in communion with God the Father. And so that relationship of God ripping himself away from himself if you've ever lost a loved one, you know that tearing feeling it is to, to lose. And Christ and God the Father being so completely mingled together and, and knowing that they were ripped apart for your sake and mine. That's where our living hope comes from. And what an incredibly humbling truth that He would choose to do that for me and for you. Let's approach him in prayer before we go to the word. Father, we come before you now. Jesus, that you would be willing to do that for us. Can't get it, can't understand it. Lord, I think about the enemies that surround us. I think about how they cause us to fret as we see them winning. Lord, we know the, we know the truth that the enemy believed at the moment of your um, death that he had won. Yet that was you winning and providing a way for us, making it right, bringing us back in to relationship with you. We praise you for that, God. We humble ourselves before you. We seek your face. We ask, God, that you would be glorified in our lives because of what you've done for us. Now, Lord, as we open the word, Lord, I confess it's easy to get lost in the sermon for the sake of the sermon, but Lord, we know it's, it's your word that is the one that pierces the heart, and we ask now by your Holy Spirit in each one of us that you would take your word and meet us each where we are and do a mighty work in each one of us, we pray. Amen. Kids are dismissed. Is that right? Well, thanks for, uh, I see the July 4th weekend hasn't claimed all of us. Um, we chose, I'm not, if you're watching online right now and you're sitting next to your camper and deciding to involve yourselves in the lives of Summit Church, that's great. I mean, absolutely, I'm not down on you. Um, so don't feel convicted by what I'm about to say, but I love it when we're able to gather together in this place of worship and uh, sit together and worship and uh, hear the word spoken over us. It's an absolute weekly blessing in my life, and uh, I pray it is for you as well. And so, so here we go. Um, I'm, I've actually been, when we determined to go through the Psalms, well, not preach the Psalms, but to spend time in the Psalms through the course of um, the month of July, I, I, I'm like breathing a sigh of relief because from January to the end of May, we were in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, 14, and then 15. And being a, if, if, I'm, if there's a novice preacher, I'm like novice plus. And that was a huge challenge for me to be able to preach sermons out of those three, four chapters. It was extremely difficult.
Even Peter says, we've, we've shared this with you, even Peter says um, in, in one of his letters, some of the things that Paul shares, he writes, are extremely difficult to understand. And so I know it was hard, I know personally it was hard to declare some of the things that came out of those three chapters because Paul spent the entire um, book of, or letter to the first letter to the, to the Corinthians, it, it, was a, it was a letter of instruction, but in large part correction because they were doing things that were out of line, making a mess of the church, and, uh, and, and totally robbing God of the glory that he deserves through the life of the church. And so while we, don't, we didn't believe that our church was experiencing a lot of what the Corinthian church was, there are some things that applied to us, and we wanted to make sure we were, were serving God in the church faithfully and in accordance with the, way, with the way that would please Him and bring Him glory. And some of it was like stepping on your toes as we declared the word. So not only was it hard to declare, I'm sure sitting in the seats it was hard to receive at times. And so... I am happy to be in a place right now in the Psalms where we're declaring what the Word of God has to say as we watch, um, as we watch individuals like David, the second king of Israel, the one that's after God's own heart, wrestle with God over why the enemy is succeeding, celebrating truths like, um, Lord, you know me. You know me far better than I know myself. You make promises that you will never leave me or forsake me what Jesus said, but in Psalm 139, he says, there's nowhere I can go where you will not be with me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, King David said of God. Understanding he is completely trustworthy, my entire delight should be in him. There is no reason for me to fret about anything or worry about anything because God is with me and he is in control. The Psalms are, are wonderful for us to go through, and I had someone share with me this past week how soothing the Psalms are to the soul, how delightful the Psalms are to the soul, how meaningful the Psalms are to the soul. And so here we are, the next four weeks, spending time in the Psalms. I preach today, of course. Jasper's next week. I get to come back again Two weeks after him, preach again, and then he's going to close it out uh, the last Sunday in July. And then we're going to roll into the, to the book of wisdom, the Proverbs. And I can't wait to get in that one either. So it's going to be a very fun and interesting and uplifting and rewarding and soothing summer as we spend our time in both the Psalms and the Proverbs. So listen to what King Solomon, an old man, this is what he said in his old age, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You hear us refer to this very, very often. But he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time, King Solomon says. Everything has been made beautiful in its time. And he says this, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So in your heart and in my heart, he has placed a hole that can only be filled by God himself. Solomon says, I perceive that there is nothing better for us to do 
than to be joyful and to do good as long as we live. And also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is God's gift to man. So he has created an eternity-sized hole in your heart that only he can fill. And then Solomon goes on to say that God has provided us what we have to eat, what we have to drink, and we are to take pleasure in everything we do. That's God's gift to man as he fulfills our desires. As he fulfills our desires. So our delight in God himself is the only thing that can fill our hearts. And then God in his his goodness and his greatness and his compassion and mercy and love for you and me has determined, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bless them. So here's a question for you as we roll into this. What, what do you use to fill your heart? It, well, is your heart even full today? So as you sit there right now in your seat and you search through the, the deepest recesses and corners of your heart, can you actually say, I'm full? Or are there areas of your heart right now that are not full? That maybe you have chosen to run after other things, let's just call them heart fillers, that are not God, and they continue to leave you wanting and empty. How do you respond when these things you use to bring you fulfillment, how do you respond when these things are taken away from you? And so today's really big question and this is the one we're going to seek to answer. Those other three were for you to wrestle over, but here's what we want to answer today. What can I do to fill my heart and keep it full? What can I do to fill my heart and keep it full? So King Solomon was King David's son that took over the kingdom after King David. King David, in his old age, said this in Psalm 37, today's psalm. He says that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and wait on Him to give us the desires of our heart. Verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Here's our problem. We often go after our desires and we forget where our delight is supposed to be desires first, then delight. And here's what we see happening. When we go after the things that God has provided for us, some of them are very good. Many of them are intended for us to enjoy. Some are the things of the world that we continue to go after. But when we put our desires before our delight, we find ourselves fretting. We find ourselves envying. It leads to wrath. It leads to anger. It leads to dissatisfaction. And what King David is saying in his old age is that as you can kind of, you can see him sitting on the porch of his palace with his morning cup of coffee, considering the events of his life and looking at all of the things, the, the, the mess he made and the mess that was brought on him, all of God's ordaining in his life. And he is still able in his old age to be able to say, God is good. And here's what I've understood. If I trust in the Lord, if I delight in his ways, if I delight in Him, if I commit to His ways, if I simply am still and patient waiting on Him, the Lord's going to take care of the delights I only need to desire in Him. 
So Psalm 37 is our psalm today. So if you would, would you turn there with me, please? And we're going to read through the first 11 verses. And of course, I would encourage you to spend the week um, reading through the rest of it. There's just too much. Even, even 11 verses feels like too much to cover today. And now what we have is about 30 minutes left or so. But uh, let's read it together. Psalm 37, verses 1 to 11. King David says this based on his lifetime's worth of experiences, he tells us. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So here we go. According to what King David shares with you and me today, I believe this psalm sufficiently answers our question, what can I do to fill my heart and keep it full? Here's the first one. Stop concerning yourself with the world's success. We need to stop concerning ourselves when we see the world winning, when we see evil being victorious, or at least what we would perceive to be victorious. Look at verse 1. We're told, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Look down at verse 7. He says it again. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And then look again at verse 8. We're told to refrain from anger and forsake wrath. And then he says it. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. When you read that word fret, Here's what King David, here's the picture he's trying to create when he says, fret not yourself. I believe you understand what it means to fret. But, but imagine it's a gnawing at you. Like I imagine sitting in a dark corner of a dark alley as a rat just gnawing on a carrot. The sound would be irritating to the ears and even disgusting to the sight. As you see... Now, 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 apply that to yourself as you are permitting yourself to fret over seeing evil win, evil prosper. It's eating away at your soul. It's driving you to a place of impatience. It's driving you to further and deeper threat or, or, or fret. It's causing you envy to dwell up inside of you, wanting the very victory that you see the enemy having, you want to have victory too. Fret takes us over. It drives us even to a place of envy. As we see the enemy winning, we want to win too. We want to have what they have. 
Why is it, God, that they succeed in their evil and I don't when I am living a good life before you? Fret not yourself. Do not be envious. Look at what the fallout is. If you fret, if we fret, if we are anxious, if we envy, the fallout leads to anger, wrath, it leads to more fretting, and it leads to evil. Fret and envy are not our friends. They are absolutely our enemies, and we're being told God is saying, don't do that. It's silly to do that. So let me illustrate it in the words of Rick Springfield. Remember Toto? A couple of weeks ago, they had something to say to us. Rick Springfield can also speak to us, but you'll know right now, I know if you're like a child of the 80s, what's coming to your mind right now is Jesse's girl, right? And if you play the lyrics through your head right now, which I'm praying to God that they're not a distraction to the rest of the service, you know I can't read all the lyrics, but this is how he starts it. Jesse is a friend, Rick says, and he says, yeah, I know, he's been a good friend of mine, but lately something's changed that ain't hard to define. Not hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl, and I want to make her mine. And then he goes on with lyrics that I can't read in church, nor should we even subject ourselves to. But he says, you know, I wish I had Jesse's girl. I wish I had Jesse's girl. Where can I find a woman like that? He is fretting over something he doesn't have. He is driven to envy for something he doesn't have. It is churning in him in such a way that if you listen to the rest of the song, he is becoming so unsettled and so unsatisfied. I believe he is leading himself to a place where he would even try and steal his best friend's girl. Even the world understands fret and envy. But let's bring it home. The Apostle Paul understood it just as well, if not more so, as he wrote his letter to the Philippian church when he said this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. He knows there are those out there that stand against him, that want to rob from him, that want to corrupt. And he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, the ones that are preaching out of goodwill, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So there are those that are actually responding to the word appropriately. And then there are those, the former, the ones that are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There are those that stand against him. There are those that want to make it hard for him. There are those that love it that he's in prison. They are envious of Paul's attention that he is receiving from people as he declares the gospel message. They want it for themselves. They celebrate the truth that Paul is in prison so they can do their thing. But guess what? Guess what Paul's response is? What yours and mine should be. No fretting. No envy. Paul could be sitting in there just churning, wishing that they would be silenced because they're experiencing the victory right now while I sit in prison, and this is what he says. What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul is a spectacular example to follow of how I'm sitting in prison. I'm not going to fret about what's going on out there. I'm not going to fret about the evildoer as he's winning. I'm not going to envy their freedom. I'm just going to simply rejoice in the truth that the truth is being declared. For me, so Rick Springfield, wipe him away. The Apostle Paul, excellent, excellent example. Here's my own personal wrestling I'm going to share with you. Fret and envy. What do I do when they win? I accept. I accept that there will be evildoers in this world. I fully accept that. But I hate it when they win. I absolutely hate it when they win. So, for example, I'm not going to tell you who my favorite sports teams are, but I have already assigned anyone they're playing as being the evil empire. They are evil, and I can't stand it. Like, this is for real. I mean, it's a, like the Lord has grown me out of this, mostly, but I can't stand it when the evil empires win and my team loses. But here's what I know. You could stand on this side and saying, your team is the evil empire, and I hate it when your evil empire wins. Silly, right? But this is what it, this is what it has led to me in my life. When the evil empires win, it drives me to stupid and silly fretting, envy that they get to celebrate that they just won. I hate it. When evil wins, fret and envy. Fret and envy. But seriously speaking now, as a pastor that has the, the abundant privilege of standing in front of you and declaring the word a third of the Sundays of year, give or take a Sunday, I hate it when the heretic wins. We stand up here, Jasper and I, plus Bjorn and Sam and others, desperately wanting to honor the Word of God, doing our best to honor it and declare it the way it's to be declared. And then you see outside the church, you see up the road, someone who is taking the Word and twisting it to suit his own passions and pleasures. Not preaching Christ, but declaring a false truth and he seems to be winning. That's hard for me. And what is the temptation for me to do inside when I see this happening outside? When people are being led astray, when he gives the when it's everything gives is giving the appearance of that guy winning. The absolute worst thing for me to do is to fret over what's happening up there or to envy what is happening out there. What would you do? So, which would you rather have removed from your life? All right? You have on one hand, you have fret and envy. That's your responsibility. On the other hand, you have the ones that provoke your fret and envy. Would you rather have fret and envy removed, or would you rather have the evildoer that's winning removed from your life? I want to say this. Jesus declared that there's always going to be trouble in this world, and trouble comes from evil. And when evil wins, it's going to give the appearance. Well, it, it, it's going to give the appearance of them winning. Here would be my heart's desire for you and for me, that we don't, we don't concern ourselves with all that. We lay aside fret. We lay aside envy. 
and we know that God is in control of all of this and that the Lord's going to take, uh, take care of the evil. He's the one that's going to take care of it. You and I, let's take care of our own hearts and let's not fret when we see what is the appearance of evil winning. Let me throw a warning at you. When we, when we see evil winning, the temptation is to want to be vindicated. We want to see justice served. We want to see them silenced. In verse 2, David says, hey, let's not fret, let's not envy, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Verse 9 says, the evildoer shall be cut off. They're going to fade, they're going to be cut off. Verse 10 says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. The Lord is going to take care of this. Let you and I before Him fill our hearts by not worrying, not fretting, not being envious when we see the world winning because the Lord is going to take care of this eventually. We should not celebrate at the demise of the wicked. We should pray for them first. And then I would say let's pray for them to be silenced as well and, and trust to the Lord how He would choose to do the silencing. All right, so let's not fret, let's not envy when we see the enemy winning. And remember, if you need an example, when Christ was sacrificed on the cross, dead and buried, the enemy likely had the most enormous celebration ever experienced by them in all of eternity. The appearance of victory and we know, three days later, Christ rose from the dead and revealed to them their very defeat. The day is going to come where they're not just going to fade, that they're going to be cut off and they will be no more the capital E enemy. All right? The cross looked like a victory for the enemy, but it was for God himself. Here's the next one. What can I do to fill my heart and keep it full? by turning your affections to what truly fills. I want you to add attention. As I was reading this morning, I thought, okay, our attention is drawn away by the things that we see happening all around us, but our attention and our affection should be on what truly fills, and that's God himself. Turning your attention and affections to what truly fills. Look at verse 3, okay? This is where, this is where like, I need to humbly accept that the Word of God is what really does the declaring. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write verse 3. Etch it in your memory. Write it on your notes, in your notes. This is how it's going to go. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. There is the answer. How do I not fret? How do I not envy? 
How do I lay all that stuff aside? All I need to do is trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit my way to the Lord, be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. That is the answer. And I feel like King David is like, man, I know it was easy for me to pen those things. Easy for me to write down. But here's what I know. He probably looks through the course of his life and he's like, man, that is hard. It is hard to trust, to delight, to commit, to wait, to be still, to be patient, especially when we see what we believe to be the enemy winning. Trust begins, trust in the Lord begins at the moment of salvation. So you're sitting, you're sitting here right now. At the, the, moment, the moment the Lord determines he is drawing you into relationship with him, you humble yourself before him, you give yourself to him, you, have, you are gifted with your faith, and you are brought into everlasting relationship with God himself. He gives you of his spirit and the ability to trust in him. Now think about the things you trust. Think about the things you trust. How have those things proven trustworthy to you? Before you come into relationship with God himself, you do not have the capacity to trust the way God de determines that you should trust. It's only by the grace of God that he gives you access to relationship with him for him to prove himself over and over and over that he is trustworthy. We're simply told, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And then he says, to delight ourselves in him. Well, I don't know which comes first, trusting in the Lord or delighting in him. I'm going to say trusting in the Lord because of the first one David mentions comes first because you don't even know that you can delight in God himself until he brings you into relationship with him and opens your eyes to the magnificence of who he is and all he has for you. Trust in the Lord delight yourself in the Lord. It is absolutely impossible to commit your way to the Lord unless you trust in Him. Trust in the Lord, delight in Him, and then commit your way to the Lord. And that's not easy either. That's a lifetime spent of learning that God is trustworthy as we work to commit our way to Him because He brought us into relationship with Him. Trust, delight, commit, and then be still. Be still and wait patiently. How in the world are we supposed to do this? Look back at verse 3. We're supposed to do good. Trust in the Lord, yes, but we're supposed to do good and dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land, so settle down. Be where God has placed you. Understand that he's got this. And then befriend faithfulness. It can also be translated feed on faithfulness and find safe pasture. Feed on faithfulness. I like that. So what does that mean to feed on faithfulness? If me coming to a place where I can trust in the Lord and delight in him and commit my way to him, what in the world does it mean to feed on him? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13, Paul tells us this, you need to expect that you are going to experience faithlessness in your life. 
you're going to see it in those around you expressing faithlessness through their lives. If we are faithless, which we will be, He, Paul says, God Himself remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. God cannot deny Himself because He is fully and completely and always faithful. Trust, delight, commit, be still, wait patiently. If it means for me to be able to do these things, I need to feed on the faithful one himself. How in the world do I do this? You have to do it by spending time in the word of God. You are feeding on God himself as you read his word. And so I want to read to you another psalm. And I want you to tell me, does this provoke in me fret and envy and anger and wrath and more fretting and evil? Or does this bring to you an abundant peace that comes from delighting in God himself and entrusting yourself to him? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. And he says, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If you want to learn what it is to trust, if you want to learn what it is to delight, if you want to learn how you can commit your way to the Lord, the one who is trustworthy, what it means to be still and wait patiently on him, even when the enemy looks like he's winning. You turn to Psalms like this, and you see that God is the one who has the victory. He is the one that is in control of everything that is happening around us. Wash yourself with the word. When we turn our attention and our affections to what truly fills, this is what comes next. And this is what we're going to wrap with. Not in the... We're going to wrap the service sermon with this because I am for sure not a rapper. So here's the third one. What can I do to fill my heart and keep it full? Just as we don't fret, just as we're not anxious, just as we run after God, we delight in Him. This is the third and final one. Trust that God's going to provide what satisfies Look at verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, 
That's on us. That's on you and me. Simply delight in the Lord. And what's he going to do? He will give you the desires of your heart. All we have to do is delight in the Lord and let him give us the desires of our heart. Now look, if we get this out of order and we pursue the desires of our heart, we must understand this, that yes, while we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, we are still tied to this flesh that is drawn to the things of this world. So our flesh still has desires of this world, And we have the Spirit that's drawing us heavenward toward God Himself. So there are good things, good desires that we have, but there are also very bad desires that we have that are drawn to the world. If our focus is being satisfied by the desires of our heart and we remove God from it, we're going to make an awful mess of ourselves. Even the good things that God gives us that He intends for us to enjoy and to take pleasure in, if we place those things before God himself, they become not good things. So in other words, let's say, Wendy, my wife, that God intends to be a good thing for me. Let's say I take it and I place her before delighting in the Lord, and she becomes my chief delight. All of a sudden, the thing that God gave me that he intends for me to enjoy, it's a good thing, I turn into a bad thing, and I place her before God himself, and then my flesh takes over, and I start being the one that determines what true desires are. Can't be that way. We must first and foremost delight ourselves in the Lord, feed ourselves on him, let him purify and refine the desires of our heart, and then find out how truly enjoyable these things are, these gifts are, these blessings are that God provides for us. Delight in Him, and He will give you the desires of our heart. Trust God that He's going to provide you what satisfies. Look at verse 5. Commit. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. This is what that means. He will bring your vindication. Man, I love that word. He will bring your vindication. Once again, I'm not saying we should celebrate the demise of the one who is prospering in his way, in his evil. But we must also accept that one day our vindication is going to come. That he's going to bring forth our righteousness as the light, verse 6, and our justice as the noon day. God is going to give you the heart, your heart's desires. As he purifies them, he is going to act. He's going to vindicate you. He's going to bring forth your righteousness and your justice as the noon day. Verse 9 says, The evildoer is going to be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, what's going to happen, shall inherit the land. Verse 11 says, But the meek... The one who sits and waits patiently on the Lord to act is going to inherit the land and delight themselves in what? Abundant peace. The exact opposite of fretting. Delight himself in abundant peace. We're not Israel. And the promise was to Israel that they would inherit the land. But I want you to know this. As we trust in the Lord and delight in Him, as we work toward fullness of relationship with Him, 
because of what Christ did on the cross for us. We, we're going to inherit something far greater than the land that was promised to Israel. We're going to inherit an eternal kingdom where we are forever with God himself in both spiritual and physical relationship with him as he, draw, as he draws us and brings us into his eternal kingdom. That is the promise of the full and true and complete inheritance of the land. And then we will experience the most abundant peace. So church, let's not fret, let's not envy. God is in control. He will bring our vindication. He will bless. Let's not trust, or excuse me, let's trust Let's delight. Let's commit our way to the Lord. Let's be still. Let's be patient. And then let's trust in God to provide us the things that He has for us. Listen to this. Jesus, as after He is resurrected, He is walking with Peter. You know, the one who denied Jesus three times. Jesus has restored Peter, and they're walking, and, and, and Jesus is declaring to Peter, um, he's like, hey, look, when you were wrong, young, people closed you. When you're old, you're going to spread out your arms, and people are going to close you again. He's speaking to Peter about how he's going to die. And so Peter, I don't, like, I put myself in the position of Peter. He looks over his shoulder, and he sees John, the disciple that Jesus loved, if you read John's recording of the gospel, he looks over his shoulder and he sees John, the disciple that Jesus loved, at the Last Supper that we just um, remembered here. We see John laying up against Jesus, the disciple that Jesus loved. Peter is the one that denied Jesus, and, and Jesus loves him and brings him back in. And Peter goes, well, what about him? What about him? And so I've, I kind of... I kind of sense Peter's, there, there's an element of fret starting to, to churn inside of him because Jesus has just declared, this is how you're going to die. And, Jesus, and, and, then, and then envy, envy, an expression of evil, over John's relationship with Jesus. Peter wants to know, what about him? What about him? And Jesus says to him, hey, look. He essentially says, don't fret and don't envy when he says, don't worry about him. That's for him, not for you. You worry about you. Even in relationship with Jesus, we still have the potential to fret and be envious when we even see people in our own midst winning. And this is what, this is what Jesus says to you. Hey, look, simply trust in me. Don't worry about him. I want you to delight in me. Don't worry about him. I want you to commit your way to me. Don't worry about how he commits his way to me. I want you to be still. And I want you to wait patiently on me. Don't worry about him. Church, we have every reason to, light, to delight in Jesus. Every reason to not fret. And so let's do that together, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, the peace that comes from listening to you speak. Thank you so much. Lord, may our delight be in you. 
May we trust in you. Lord, may we be found committing our ways to you. Oh, Lord, may we be meek. May we wait patiently on you to provide for us the things that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, Friday, I'm finishing up my sermon. And uh, so it's, I don't know, it was like Friday approaching noon. And Dave, of course, you know, is leading because Corey is on a cruise. And I don't begrudge that. I'm happy that Corey's on a cruise. But that's why, that's why Dave's leading. And so I sent him a message, and I said, look, I said, the Lord, well, the Lord had laid on my heart, I want to finish the service with Christ is enough, but it's, it's Friday. So I sent him a message, and I say, hey, I got our last song, closing the service, Christ is enough. And he's, his immediate response was, is this a joke? And all of a sudden, I'm like, I, we're not sitting talking face to face, so I didn't know what, I didn't know. And he says, and I said, um, is it too late to make that request? Or, or does Corey not want us to use Hillsong songs anymore? Like, I didn't know. He sends me a picture of the order of service that he had already created based on the prompting of the Holy Spirit and prayer. And guess what the closing song was? Is Christ is enough. And if there could be a better close, yeah. And, and it's like, it's like uh, praise God, he said it. I'm in tears as he's, I'm re- reading his message. He's like, praise God that he works in the little things. Something as little as this that the Lord intends for you and I to be blessed with. Let's sing. <laughs>